Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. Today, Andy Pearson unpacks why he considers himself a failed coach and dives into what he believes his job is as a coach. He shares his insights on where to look for coaching and training inspiration outside of parkour before going through the litany of injuries he's had and explaining how they have shaped his training. Andy discusses his current training and how he expects it to grow and evolve before wrapping up with his thoughts on FIG and the Olympics. Before we dive in, I ask that you press pause and take a quick listener survey. It's one page, has only five questions, and will take you all of 10 seconds to complete. If this project is worth 10 seconds of your time, go to moversmindset.com slash survey. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, I'm Andy Pearson. Andy Pearson is a failed coach, mediocre athlete, knows next to nothing about sports science, and has more injuries than the Black Knight from Monty Python. He had the good fortune to gradually learn from his mistakes over the last 15 years like a goldfish and has unbelievably coached many people all around the world to not do what he did. So basically, he's making it up most of the time. Welcome, Andy. Hey, how you doing? I think the obvious place to start, Andy, would be to unpack failed coach. And let's dive in there because I'm pretty sure most people would not label you as a failed coach. But I think that I understand why you're thinking that that's an appropriate moniker. <laughs> mm, okay, sure thing. So this kind of came about maybe a couple of weeks ago. I was thinking about what is to be a good coach and how to measure that. So sort of what are the metrics essentially of a good coach is it the number of people you see you know the, the number of students you have the dollars you make the, the money you make <laughs> or you know you know what is it and something that kept kind of popping up in my head was how many people have you coached that have ultimately on an overall scale become better than you so they have actually become a better practitioner overall not with little spikes of sort of you know you get people coming into classes where they're taller than I am and they've got a bigger jump. And, I, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sort of as an overall practitioner, who has come into your class and then gone on to be better than you are. Now, ego aside, I'm not trying to be egotistical. And this is sort of the whole mediocre coach, mediocre athlete part of it, that I don't think that I am a particularly good athlete at parkour. You know, there, there are a lot of kids out there that are much, much better than I am. But I think I'm okay physically, but I was thinking about this metric of, you know, out of all of my students, can I actually think of anybody that has gone on and I've actually made them better than I am? I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about my ability as a coach. And therefore, am I failing? Am I failing? Because therefore there's going to be this like dilution because if they then go on to be coaches and they do the same thing to their students and so on and so forth, are we going to be gradually losing what it means, what, what parkour is about? And I think I've lost stuff from just one generation, mm -hmm. you know, from, you know, learning from Dan and Forrest and Stefan, you know, that what they did when they translated it to me, there was already stuff lost. And now, you know, that's like one generation sure. away. And, and I, I feel that it was kind of like this idea of how can I teach my students to the maximum of my ability so they're not losing anything? I think then the obvious question is when you did that internal taking attendance and looking at all those people, have you found people that you think had the potential to surpass you? And then does that does that cause you to change your coaching? Like, you know what, if I change this piece, then I think this person can surpass me like that. So now you've got this perspective. How, how does that change your tool set? Mm. So I think that actually it's all the stupid shit that I did. So essentially I've learned from my mistakes. So over the, the time that I've been doing parkour, there was a lot of stuff that I would never do again. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that was just really, really stupid stuff. And therefore, I don't give that to my students. However, by not giving it to my students because it's stupid stuff, does that mean they are now losing what made the me? lesson, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, well, 
how do I balance this? How, how do I now do my classes and not hurt my students? But on the flip side, they are starting to get more of the essence of what parkour is about because they are having to go through the hardships of doing stupid stuff. Hmm. And this is a, this is a tough question. Do you have the answer? Because no, I'm, no, I, I like, well, that's that's the thing. I don't. You know, um, they were, you know, regularly we would do. I remember, you know, warm ups were a thousand squats. Warm ups were like, okay, you could bust out five hundred pistols, and you know, all this. I wouldn't get my students to do that. We'll be there for hours on end. <laughs> right? That was a whole afternoon, right? Yeah, um, but I have to ask myself. Well, if they're not doing that. And they don't have the mindset of, well, that fucking sucks. Yeah. This, you know? okay, that's, here's the line. This is on the other side of the line. That's I know where the line is, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, you know, there's, I think that I have a much better idea of what I am capable of doing. Whereas my students are, they're still finding that, are still discovering that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of gently bringing them upwards whereas when i was doing it it was like whack here is the line (laughs) is way beyond what you think it is and you either try and get there or you don't right and i don't know i i think that that is part of what may be missing from my coaching at least i am seeing more and more small groups of practitioners who haven't been taught in classes they haven't got coaches they haven't done anything other than gone out onto the streets and do parkour right right? experimental on the ground right with their friends and that's it so you know yeah most people know who storal are and you know the storm guys and all, all all of these groups they didn't have coaches not that i know of i don't think they did but they seem to be way, way better at doing parkour. Like their level of parkour is way beyond students of classes from what I can understand and what I have seen on a whole. Mm-hmm. And therefore, are these kids doing things that we're missing in classes? I don't know. But I'm starting to feel and think that maybe we are. Maybe we need to... I think it's the age, it's the evergreen question that we all ask ourselves about parkour, whether you call it parkour ADD or free running, you know, should, and it's not just indoors versus outdoors, but is it structured or is it like semi-organized chaos? Like which of those environments do you create Mm -hmm. when you're trying to teach people how to do things? And, you know, there's, there's one whole very organized way of like running classes in a gym with a schedule. And then that, that, that makes it approachable to a larger base of people. So you're, you wind up walking this line. I mean, if you look at those people, like the, the community that's in Brighton is a tiny group of people and they are like spectacularly skilled. And if you get a chance to hang out with them, their day is not what you see in the video. It's this entire organic immersion. And that's a complete other end of the scale from, you know, the family who just like we're doing soccer this quarter and then next school quarter, we're going to do parkour. So I, I think what you're, what you're getting at is sort of the whole, like you went back in the beginning, you were talking about how do you measure if you're a good coach and that it's the challenge of, well, if I have a hundred students, my statistical chance of finding somebody who's genetically gifted goes up. But if I had two students and I taught them differently, I might have a bigger output in the end. I might actually win for two instead of win for one. So I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there, maybe there really is an answer. I'm just no, to be completely all cards on the table. I am not a coach. I know just enough about coaching to know that I am not a good coach. So I, don't, I never went there. I have other things that I want to do. Well, actually, you talk about Brighton, and I know that Callum Powell mm-hmm. from Storo he teaches classes down there, and even from the little videos that I see on Instagram of him coaching, his students seem they're like. I don't know, 12, 13 years old, they are doing things that, mm. wow, they're, they're amazing. And I'm like, well, also perhaps it's Callum's ability level being so high that he, he, yeah, he's kind of going, well, come this way, come right? this way. And, you know, this, this is what I expect you to do. And he, his bar is higher than mine right. and therefore what he expects his students to do is higher and therefore their output is higher and so yeah. i'm wondering would you agree with if i said 
I believe that the coach's physical ability is, and I'm not going to say completely, because if you don't know how, which end of the tennis racket to grab, you're out. Mm. But basically, your physical ability is not related to your ability to coach. These are right. two completely different things. Mm. So we can't, or we shouldn't maybe, we shouldn't give credit to the coach who is super physically advanced like we're talking about how does that coach create students that exceed them? That's even going to be harder for that coach than it is for a self-professed failure as yourself. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just like, well, maybe we should try and find, and I don't know that we can do it in real time. Maybe we should try and find a counterexample of somebody where you find a micro group that's got you know 17 people and one person's been there a little bit longer and they're arguably better than the others. Now, can that person coach like maybe we should look for the different example instead of the macroscopically enlarged one. Let's look for one microscopically shrunk. Just mm. my idea on trying to unpack it. Yeah, I don't know of a group like that, to be honest. <laughs> How would we find them? How would we yeah. even see them, right? Yeah. Hey, write in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> write in. I put a video on. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I, I'm just finding that quite interesting at the moment to sort of analyze my own ability as both a coach and practitioner because I, I, I try to, I like, obviously, improving and mm -hmm. becoming better at whatever it is I'm doing. And I like learning and I, you know, I'm always trying to move forwards, not become stagnant and sort of just be comfortable with what I am doing here and now. So this leads to this sort of conversation with myself of, okay, you know, am I actually delivering students to right. the level I want them to be at? And, you know, to, to be fair to them that you know most of my students haven't been doing it very long and they're all doing very very well but it's just when i i've seen probably tens maybe nearly hundreds of thousands of students over my time out of all of those i can't see anybody that has stuck with it for the you know a long period of time maybe i haven't inspired them to want to walk the same path you know <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questions there's but a, you know there's a there's a yawning dark deep chasm here you want to make sure that you <laughs> go around right yeah, oh, right exactly <laughs> well I, you know I, i'm completely okay with that it's just that i want to be able to point it out and go okay there's yeah. the problem that's what i now need to stop doing <laughs> you know so i can become a better coach but at the moment, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out you know, how can I get my students to the level beyond what I am capable of doing. Um, yeah. Andy, given your thorough grasp of failure then, like let's talk about how do you turn that into tools? So not just what, what have you done with it and how do you see a way forward, but how do you look at that and then what's your thinking before and after? So at one point you're uncertain what to do about it which is very important because if you don't know that you're uncertain, then that's the, the step you missed. So once you know you're uncertain about it, how, what, you know, like what's the actual next thing, what thought changed and how are you moving forward to try and hmm. dig out of that or flip it over? Or? Yeah. So then I believe the next step, and again, I'm completely unsure with this, but we'll, you know, I'll see how it goes. But now is the time where I think coaches have to look outside of parkour strongman training, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, mm -hmm. even CrossFit. Yeah, long distance running, right? Yeah, long distance running. All of these things. These guys have been going for a long time. Like they've been going for a long, long time. And their coaches, they know what they're doing. They know how to make people stronger. They, you know, well, the top ones do. So I am now looking more towards that. I'm, I'm looking at actual strongman training. I'm looking at real strength training and programming, mm. how to program correctly and then trying to translate that back to parkour, which is actually pretty difficult when you look at specific movements because our movements are not usually just one yeah, part one of it. One plane and one... Yeah. And it's nuts. I mean, you look at sort of the textbooks on how to do a squat and that's 
basically lifting something up. Then you now try and program for that. Like it gets, yeah, it's okay. It's not too hard to program. But then you start looking at a Kong. Oh my God. <laughs> There's like about four stages yeah, to the movement. Bench um, press, the d- dynamic negative bench press that turns into a, I don't know, a front frogger jump, I know, like a box jump. Like, yeah. What, well, what uh, I mean, when you start thinking that, okay, a Kong can have three different entry points going up to it going sideways right. to it and coming down <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, what I'm just this vision of chris keithley doing the kongs over like parking bumpers you right know, like the six like who would kong a six inch high but yeah. but then i tried to do it and it's like really hard yeah exactly so you know there were so many variables to that so looking at a strength coach and how they go about programming somebody getting better at a squat it's really good for us because mm. I think you start to understand, okay, why are they doing what they're doing? You know, why are they making people do the number of repetitions they're doing? What are the variables in terms of stress upon the body? Mm-hmm. You know, how many sets they do, how many reps they do, how they measure it through volume rather than sets and reps and what that volume should be and all of this stuff. What they also recommend in terms of rest and Recovering. why they rest, how long they rest, all this kind of stuff very very important uh, because if you are now doing precisions and you're doing broad jump precisions and you're starting to get that to that point where you're plateauing what does most people do oh they'll either stick with whatever they've plateaued at or they'll get an injury and then they'll just uh, forget it and you know they'll move on to something else with strength training that's not how it works and actually i should sidestep perhaps to what strength coaches classify as a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced, and then an elite practitioner. And I really like this. A beginner is somebody who you can give some training to within one session, and they need the recommended amount of recovery, which is 48 to 72 hours of recovery from what happened in that single session. An intermediate person is where you need to accumulate more than one training session, so between two to three or four, to then elicit the same amount of recovery response. Mm. An advanced person requires between a week to a month of training, and then elite Olympic-level people, you have to program six months a plus worth of training to elicit a tiny amount of um, change. change in their body to then make them stronger, right? I like this because it doesn't come down to anything other than what you are capable of doing, you know? It doesn't matter what techniques you're doing. It doesn't matter anything. All that matters is how much intensity you are able to take, And, you know, that's it. That's what classifies a beginner or an intermediate or whatnot. Now, for us, if we are doing broad jumps and we have got to the point or a student has got to the point where it doesn't matter how much broad jumping they do in a session, well, all that's telling me is they have not put enough intensity onto their session to elicit a response so we have to now figure out how can we elicit a response and program it right so and that's kind of now how it feeds back into parkour there are obviously like the kong oh my gosh how do you program or elicit a response to get somebody to be better at a kong now we have to break that down. We have to make it more granular. We have to figure out, okay, is this, there's a jump partial part of it. There is a hold part in the middle or a slowing down or a speeding up mm-hmm. part. And then there's a landing part. Now we break that down. We figure out, okay, how do you elicit a response in terms of making the jump harder, the hold harder and the, and the drop and the landing harder. And now we can start programming that. That's what I'm now starting to look at and figuring out how can I make top level people have a change just as much as a beginner can. Andy, recently I've been on a a kick to try and get people to give me more direct references or takeaways. So I think too many people either read or hear or see 
information that inspires them to action. But then if we, if we don't, you know, give them like, oh, go run this way, I, th- I think it sort of does a disservice because we've gone all the trouble to bring all that material to them. So I, I'm yeah. wondering uh, if there are particular books or particular people that you think would be good resources for, for somebody who's just been sparked to like go start with. Yeah, absolutely. So these are obviously all non-parkour people and they all are in different aspects of physical training. The main one that I absolutely love and I was put onto this group, actually it's two people by Shirley and Blaine. They recommended me to go along to one of these courses and it's Strong Fit. And this is a guy called, run by a guy called Julian Pinot. And he is very cerebral with his thinking in terms of training. And he has his whole system about talk and uh, creating tension correctly. And he has a lot of diagnostic tools in terms of where you are strong and where you are weak, which is amazing because it can then show you, okay, you can't hinge properly. You can't use your lats properly or whatever it is or, or an, but he, an imbalance is probably a common yeah so he, yeah strong fit is definitely a great great one to check out uh, he has a lot of videos online that you it's no substitution for his courses i will say but um he's very much kind of raw strong man type training so sleds and sandbags and that kind of stuff but um again it, it kind of translates over to parkour and you know that will that will definitely help another one this is more for strength training and anyone that does strength training olympic lifting might have heard of mark ripto Mm. so mark ripto's books fantastic Uh, starting strength and practical programming i would highly recommend a good read of that that's going to fill in a lot of blanks of why you should be doing five sets of five of whatever it is or you know if you want to be get a bit of hypertrophy why you should be doing that and he yeah anyway that that those are great books to read and he, he he's a pretty straight talker like he takes no bullshit but he's been doing it at a very very high level and i think it's sort of olympic level coaching so it's good to read jim wendler a lot of people have heard of jim wendler and his books and stuff podcasts i would suggest tim ferris's podcast he covers a lot of interviews with a lot of fitness people and there's some yeah. really interesting things going on on his podcasts and yeah he kind of asks a lot of right questions the things that you want to know about i'm going to butcher his surname but pavel tatsulin yeah i think that's right he's or was a kettlebell coach guy and brought it over to america mm. from russia does a lot of special forces training all of that kind of stuff nutrition i would suggest precision nutrition so they have courses and they're kind of highly regarded as one of one of the top nutritional knowledge centers where you know that anybody who's a nutritionist pretty much goes through their courses and then lastly if you kind of want to know a little bit more about fitness business and maybe a little bit more towards the crossfit stuff barbell shrugged is usually a good podcast vodcast to go check out i think there'll be some good starting places for people to go have a look at andy i like to often ask people what's something that they're currently struggling with but i think i'm gonna put a bit of a twist on it and say are there any injuries that you're particularly struggling with or what has that journey been like since you have had so many injuries or i mean if you're currently injury free i could kick you under the table but what, what's um what are your current struggles and and the current challenges yeah so this kind of is the whole black knight portion of the, <laughs> the intro, of the intro. Flesh wound. yeah the flesh wound um i'm pretty messed up as a human i've not broken but i'm, I'm getting there uh, um so I've got like a, a kind of list of like the the worst things I've done. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot, but, um, you know, I, I've torn pectoral muscles. Uh, my right pectoral muscle has been torn from my bicep. Um, I have a separated shoulder. I fractured my rib cage and fused my thoracic spine, like two of my vertebrae. 
I've herniated two of my lower lumbar discs, and then I've herniated another third, but anterior, so at the front. Oh, that's that's hard. That sucked. <laughs> um, torn my iliolumbar ligament, Ow. which was pretty horrible. I don't was... realize how much you use that until you realize that's the joint between the <sighs> yeah. rib cage and your spine. Yeah, that was that that was the most recent one, and. The problem was not quite so much the injury. It was my body wanting to protect it. Mm. So essentially my QL, my TFL, my quads, my hip flexors, basically everything just went wow. crunch and tightened everything up. So it would stop me from moving. I was literally walking to my left, mm. like <laughs> in a circle most of the time because I was leaning that way. <laughs> it, it was pretty bad. I, you know, I had years of patella tendonitis like a lot of people did at the beginning so yeah i'm pretty messed up they're like the major ones but i've had a lot of others now that has made me think about injuries quite a lot (laughs) (laughs) it has made me sort of think about i guess our community and how we treat injury and how we deal with injury. And I and I don't think this is actually just parkour. You know, I, I see it with other disciplines and fitness professionals. And I think we are quite adverse to modern medicine. And I think that we'd kind of just struggle through. <laughs> and, some dirt on it. Get yeah, back in the game. Yeah. And it's like... You've just broken your arm. Ah, I'll be okay. I'm going to strap it up and, you know, give it a week and I'll be okay. I'll just do precision jumps. And I've seen this a lot. And like I said, I've done this a lot. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that, fuck, I should have really gone to the hospital. I really really should have gone and, you know, got that thing sorted out. And, And I didn't. And I think that we need to kind of promote our students to be more vigilant in terms of go seek a medical professional, go to the hospital, go and get that thing sorted out. Stop training on stuff. Stop, you know, just stop, you know, one of the, one of the most common things I see is they will injure their tendons in some way, you know, the, the, the tendon will become inflamed, you know, whether it's like the, the patella tendon or, you know, the elbow or whatever, And there's this habit of as soon as it feels okay, they'll go and train on it again. Yeah. And that's such a bad way because your tendon is not healed yet. What's happened is just the inflammation section of your body saying this has, you've hurt it, has gone down and now it's going to start mending. That's the point where you need to start resting. That's the point where you've got to go, okay, I'm going to take a good three weeks, month away from my training because I need it to heal. And yeah, and inevitably what happens? They'll go out and train mm. and then it comes back again. And you're like, well, of course it has because the inflammation has literally just gone down and you've just gone and tugged on it again and the inflammation has gone back up again. And the other problem that I see is stretching and myofascial release with foam rollers and all of this stuff seems to be this catch-all problem, uh, like fixing. Self, yes, yeah. self-practicing, oh self-administering, yeah, <laughs> self-prescribing. Yeah, it's, crazy. it's so bad because you're like, okay, you have literally just pulled stretched a tendon that's now inflamed and now what are you gonna do you have decided to stretch it it's just like no come on like this is not what you want to be doing but the problem is most of our students haven't been told that they haven't been taught to just leave it alone be you know it's okay for a few weeks to not train i know it sucks but the best way that i think about it is if you actually want to be a good athlete this is training as well. This is part of the training, and this is just the hard part of the training. Yeah. Of all the questions I can think of, maybe I should ask, what are you currently training? Like, what are you like really doing? I mean, I know you're doing a lot, like between regular work and, and working on changing the way that you're coaching and, and a lot of time spent thinking, but like, are you still going out and, and running or climbing or jumping? Like, are you, are you still physically training? Are you active? What are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Like... I do a lot of strength training. So I've just started classes up in a gym in Deptford, so which is southeast London, called the Commando Temple, which is as 
scary as it sounds. <laughs> it's just oh like, yeah. This isn't going in the right direction. There's somebody who wants to like talk about longevity and rest and recovery. Yeah. But okay, into the commando <laughs> tempo we go. Yeah. However, these guys are awesome. Like their gym is, it's very intimidating when you look at it, when you go in, it's just like, oh my God, what have I just walked into? <laughs> they have one of those where the door is up a five foot, like, you yeah. got to scale the wall to get in, enter here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they do a lot of martial arts. So jujitsu and Thai kickboxing and all that kind of stuff. Strongman training, Olympic lifting, powerlifting and whatnot. But they do it at a very, very high level. So their coaches are fantastic like they've won lots of competitions they've been doing it for a long period of time so they've coached very very high high level athletes and they constantly have new ones coming in so i am at the point where i'm sort of just joining in some of the classes (laughs) so i I, i'm kind of walking in uh, uh, trying the strongman training at the moment and and i'm loving it because Parkour seems to be a lot more muscular endurance based, which is great. And that served me a long time, but I don't generally do too much strength work. Right. Parkour is body weight. Yeah, exactly. And this stuff is a lot of fun. Like the strongman stuff is just pick up this huge rock. Um, I've seen people pick up Atlas stones and then like, I've, you know, gone four to the left and tried to pick up the Atlas marble and like, just like trying to get a hold of the thing and like yeah. rock it off the floor. Yeah. I was like, I, you grab it and this might be a good thing, you know, go try it. Just rocking that back and you're like, well, wait, no, hold on. Before that would be even the thing I have to go. And like, you suddenly you leave with a list of like, I do this, 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 that, and the other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's yeah we have all those. So and, and interestingly, they're all rated and mm. they've all got their numbers written mm. on it. And the bottom row of all the Atlas stones, it goes up to two hundred kilos. And this thing, I can't That's... even get my arms halfway around, around it. It, it yeah. is huge. And I'm just like, how a human being can get this to? I think the the height of the top shelf is like maybe six foot. I think I'm, I'm like taller than I am. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you, you see some of the guys walking into this like, place. Oh, and that's the human that picked up that stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, How do they get them down? Well, they have like big sort of crash mat type things so they can roll them oh, they just onto the floor. Diddly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pay your dues. <laughs> yeah. I think those, those bottom row, they have signatures on them from the people that have actually picked them up and there's not a lot of signatures on them. Yeah. But so last week, maybe two weeks ago, we had, do you know Brian Shaw? No. Uh, he's like one of the world's strongest men, strong man. And Eddie Hall lifted 500 kilos. Yeah, he's the first human on the planet ever to lift half a ton. Is that weight on a bar? That's weight on a bar. bar. Yeah, 500 kilos. You can YouTube it. Uh, It's pretty immense. Uh, Those were, they were training in the gym a few weeks ago. Um, So that's sort of like some of the level of ability that comes into the gym. So it's very, very cool to see that. And like I said, the coaches they're very high level as well so i'm learning sort of from their coaching ability and i'm seeing how they're oh, doing lurking stuff the- yeah <laughs> well <stealing>. played, sir. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so and also participating so yeah that's kind of what i'm training at the moment and as well as the parkour as well i mean i, I still love that and i still go out and train um, once maybe twice a week and on top of coaching as well so yeah i'm pretty try to keep active i love it so yeah i'm still training we've talked a little bit about injuries in the past. And, and I can clearly see that you're really thinking a lot about what you want to do with your coaching in the future. So you're clearly a a very forward looking person. So where do you see yourself in arbitrary numbers, like maybe five years? Cause you can kind of have a plan that goes that far, but like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I was about to say dead, but (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, off something. M- mad props for honest answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would that be death to natural causes? Death <laughs> to... <laughs> what, gravity, probably. De- That's natural, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are you expecting one of those stones to fall on you? So, no. <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. what, made you think, what made you think death? Yeah, I don't know. It was maybe just my morbid thinking. <laughs> uh, no, what, 10 years? Well perhaps making a bit more money from parkour. Like mm-hmm. that would be nice. Um, 
anybody that wants to get into parkour for the money is probably and in the wrong injury <laughs> at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's no money in parkour at the moment. Um, I, I say, you know, if you want to take something you really love and make yourself hate it, try to make a money, try to make a job out of it. Yeah. And it's um, it's important to have things that you're passionate about. You're obviously passionate about coaching and, and um, having trained with you a little bit. You're obviously passionate about just doing parkour. And I think that it may be the best of both worlds if you can find something that's kind of parallel and, and teach, you know, something else or have a day job. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so, so, so I do have a day job and uh, like it's say, three, not, three not days a week. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, three days a week and it's IT. So I'm sort of traditionally trained in IT and I work for a company that essentially does branding and marketing for high level websites. And I like it. It's obviously keeps my brain going and I'm learning lots constantly. So I find that it is this good balance between London parkour and training and physical stuff and dealing with fear and all of that. And then, okay, let's go on a computer and figure out problems Mm -hmm. and stuff with my brain. And so I I feel like there's, there's this constant becoming better better yeah. human balance and i was gonna say yeah. here's yin and yang it comes up every time right and i like it um yeah i'm enjoying both parts i don't think that you would necessarily be at the same job in 10 years but mm. do you think you would still be at the same i'm gonna say at the same balance in terms of time commitment so there's a i'm sounding like it's a pretty fairly actual balance and do you think you would wind up becoming more interested in the cerebral side or the physical side or do you think that balance would continue for another decade i'd like the balance to continue and because i have actually been doing that for pretty much the whole time so there's there's always been that element of using the computer and Mm -hmm. doing websites and all that kind of stuff and that has served me really well it's sort of allowed me to forget about the training and the coaching and all of that and i like it i've had some good conversations with people um, talking about I don't want to say personal productivity, but like the, I always talk about like the internet eats my face. If I get on the internet too early in the morning, it's just the whole day goes down the hill. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you clearly spend a ton of time working with computers and tech. And then you also spend time outdoors and moving. Like how do you prevent, it's probably the tech side from eating your life. Like do you have any tips or routines that you do or like, what's your morning look like? Mm, I'm probably not the best person to ask that because <laughs> I actually, if I am not training, I will be on my computer pretty much. I, yeah, I probably am on it a bit too much if I'm honest. I think that's the first step of the 12 step program is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I kind of like that problem. <laughs> negative, um, negative one, back to zero. Yeah, um, I was just curious because it, it's—I think it's a challenge for everybody to figure out how to, you know, make decisions. Like, do I put my shoes on now or do I check my phone once more? Like, that's mm. that's always a thing. Yeah, I mean, what gets you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you out the door to go? You know, to go train when it's raining? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought you were going to say I don't get out the door <laughs> in the morning. I never leave the house before noon. Right yeah. <laughs> Okay, this this is going to come across really badly, but well, fuck it. Um, Nobody's listening, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I am not necessarily a negative person, but I try to question everything. And it's not that I'm trying to be better than anybody, but I feel that we could all be better. Like, as a human species, I feel that we are sliding downwards, not going upwards. And I have a sense of, I kind of want to be better than that. I don't want to just give in to things that, just because everybody else is doing it, doesn't make it right. Mm. Doesn't, you know, just because large portions of people smoke or just because everybody sits at work or you know fast food is easy fast food is easy all of this kind of stuff i am very much for analyzing and going well is that really something that i want to let into my life and why are we doing this and the more i do that the more i'm realizing that so much of life is kind of dictated to you and so much you don't even think about it it's sort of like yeah like like well, sitting and things and yeah, that's things the way like, my mom and dad always did it so that's the way i do it like yeah. uh, for me my, me specifically that's yeah what I'm talking about. like that's the habits i picked up right and but i i kind of like to 
pick at those and go so do you pick at them because I, I would agree I'm, I do the same thing mm. and I'm not trying to doubt I'm saying yeah I do that too it drives me bonkers yeah do you the problem I have is I tend to pick at it too much and then I'm just wondering have you managed to like alright I'm going to pick at this one thing and then here's the action I'm going to take because mm. I tend to like rage quit things so like I'll get sick right. of something that I think I'm wasting time and I'm like alright punt you know and like I just erase it from my life yeah so when you find something and I don't know that you have to give me if, if you don't want to you don't have to give me a specific example but yeah, yeah. How do you like actually turn the the mental churn into something that makes you feel empowered and better? I actually remember the very first one that I started this with. And this was perhaps 20 years ago when I very, very first started work. It was sort of going into the city. It was, you know, uh, on the tube and everybody would pick up a newspaper uh, the metro, mm-hmm. and just start reading the garbage that would be coming at them, right? <laughs> and I, and you I, have the same papers we do. Right. Uh, <laughs> and you, you just sort of, you don't think about it. You're just like, oh, I want something to read when I'm on the yeah. tube. And you pick it up and you start reading all this crap. And you're just like, oh, I'm depressed now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the time you get to work at 9 a.m., you're just like already feeling, oh, the world's weight right. on your shoulders. And I just realized, you know what? I'm going to remove that. I'm I, I'm just not going to do that one thing. And and I just started not doing that. And then I was like, oh, that, you know, I feel a little bit better. And then I was like, okay. It kind of put me into this mindset of what other things do I do that I don't want to do? And, you know, now it comes to, you know, I don't, Trailers, that's one thing. Oh my God, and life is really hard right now. So things like watching movie trailers and oh, yeah i thought you meant the things that go behind cars i'm like whoa <laughs> that's a non secret. i'm sorry movie trailers car trailers uh, the caravans oh my god <laughs> yeah no 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 like movie trailers right yeah, sorry m- movie trailers so you know there was something again that's a long time ago the pe- people that know me they know i don't watch movie trailers and i'm always the guy sort of mm. with my hands over my oh, eyes in no. the cinema and whatnot yeah you know when it starts yeah and and i realized that actually I started enjoying movies a hell of a lot more when I went to see a movie um, because I knew absolutely nothing about it. I I don't know who was in it. I don't know what actors are in it. I don't know any of the storyline, any of the plot line, nothing. And I was like, right, that's it. So I, um, I've i never watched a trailer since. Anti- like Anti-trailer Andy. A- a- anti-trailer. So yeah, you know, it's just little <laughs> things like that. So, you know, and now that's kind of fed into things like things I don't eat. Uh, you know my diet and there are things where i'll keep slipping into again but yeah i just like pulling away things that are perhaps negative in my life so yeah andy we've been pretty structured so far where i've been asking you questions and we're on particular topics but i always like to give people a chance and just open it up and say is there anything else that you want to share or talk about or Mm, i guess the whole olympics thing could be fun um <laughs> that's like opening up yeah that's opening up a i was just about to say a bag of worms but like <laughs> bag of worms. <laughs> yeah, like, that's like about three analogies in one yeah. i don't know what's going on there yeah as the i know that the whole fig and olympics thing is a hot topic at the moment Quite honestly, I couldn't care less. I mean, I, I I don't follow it. I don't know what's going on at the moment. But something I have noticed through the years of being around the parkour community is that we've always had this thing where there's been something that everybody has been against, or most people have been against. You know, there's the tricks and flips are really, really bad, and that's not parkour, that's free running, and... Oh, yeah okay whatever and then there was like the whole red bull competition and then that was the next thing that everybody was like ah, that's really gonna destroy the spirit of everything yeah yeah and you know then it was like bad sponsors and all of that kind of stuff and now it's fig and the olympics and i've kind of just realized that it's gonna bloody happen anyway just you know get on with it and I definitely feel like, well, all we're really doing is just moaning about it, which I know the English are really good at, but <laughs> but we're not actually giving any 
alternatives, and I don't think we really would. So, it's, yeah, the the figure just gonna run with it anyway and do it. And as much as we hate it, and as much as I hate it, I'm, like, yes, I'm not gonna be able to change it. But thinking beyond that, how interesting is it going to be to see what those athletes are gonna do over time? So, you know, to begin with, it's going to be, all right, regular parkour guys that maybe have trained a little bit, but then they're going to start to realize in maybe four years time, wait a minute, I'm, we're getting gold medals, right? And the sponsorship and deals the, sponsorships the next year, right? And the money and all this. Okay. Now they're going to start training properly. Now we're going to start to see actual athletes. You're going to, you know, one's going back to the programming and, and then it's going to get worse. The, you know, eight years down the line, we're going to start seeing perhaps, I don't know, steroid abuse, you know, drug testing, all of that. And, you know, it's just going to keep compounding and it's going to get basically what all other sports are at, right? Olympics, right? I'm kind of interested to see, you know, what's going to happen because, you know, are we going to see guys jumping ridiculous lengths <laughs> because, you know, they're like steroids <laughs> and all of this stuff. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I want to see what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, like zooming around like this parkour track like a crazy person. Um, I think it's going to be funny. <laughs> I think it's going to be hilarious. I mean, it's not going to be parkour, but it'll just be this whole new thing that we can see and enjoy, I guess. But yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I've said it once. I'll say it again. I love to collect stories. I love to hear people tell their stories because the stories that people pick and share, that tells you more about who they are, the passion that they use, that you get a lot of insight into the person. So Andy, is there a story you'd like to share? Okay. So this story, I've told it a few times, a few people know about it. And actually, I think it was actually mentioned on another podcast at one point, not by me, by someone else. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, it is about, and this is going to put me in a really bad light if it ha- if this podcast hasn't already. But <laughs> I got bad news okay, for you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't care. So the I was with somebody. Oh, Magda, that was it. I was with Magda. We were coming back from a class, a uh, parkour class, and on the tube, and I think it was at Green Park Station. We kind of pulled up to the station to get onto the tube, and. Um, there was a bunch of people on the platform. There was a little bit of screaming going on and there was like a load of stuff, like something was going on and it was just like, oh crap, I'm going to go the other way. (laughs) Street theater. Yeah. I was like, oh man. And so we got on and yeah, there was a drunk guy had literally just fallen onto the tracks, right? So (sighs) he'd fallen onto the tracks and there was probably, I had a guess, probably about eight people, 10 people, just standing there going, right. oh, my God, oh, my God, somebody do something. Right? <laughs> somebody else do something. Yeah, exactly. And the thought that I had in my head was not I should help this person. It was, for fuck's sake, I'm really pissed off with these people, right? So it wasn't like a I want to try and help someone. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, Jesus. Yeah, have you like, people not read that book about that? <laughs> right? <laughs> So it was more of like an anger thing rather than, oh my God, somebody's in danger. So I sort of like dropped my bag and pushed people out of the way and just jumped down and pulled the guy back up and put him back on the platform. And I didn't look at the time when the train was coming. <laughs> literally the train basically then came in like yeah. 10 seconds later like that guy would have jumped in with two minutes to go until you had him on the platform yeah and basically the, the tube pulled up i walked off and got on the tube and went home that was it right that, that, that's the story but what i kind of like not like but I, I try to be honest with everything and i think that people that would have seen me do that would have thought oh my god this guy is like jumping down and pulling a guy and yeah, somebody heroism. else up and yeah that i hate that word but yeah thinking that but that was not what it was about i didn't have fear i didn't like that hadn't even come into my brain it was more of oh, christ you just like please just somebody go do something it was just like jesus this is like the most mundane thing in the world just pick this guy up and put him on the platform and i think that a lot of people who are seen as heroes or heroic that's not 
what they're doing. That's not like they're not in it for that. They're actually thinking more about, oh, God, I just got to do this thing. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's just a thing. To, it's just like a day to day thing. And I really feel that parkour has taught me that. Like parkour has sort of shown me, okay every class is a bloody hardship every class is hard you got to do these horrible things you got to beat your fear you got to do all this stuff and i really like that i really love the fact that i've kind of now got it in me to just ignore what everybody else is doing because i could have just quite easily just stood on the platform and gone oh my god and you know, or, yeah, you know. or maybe run to try and stop the train yeah yeah <laughs> so, you know but I like that. I, maybe I'm a little bit more negative in my thinking, but I think that has actually helped me. That has sort of made, served me well. So, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. <laughs> <laughs> seek the best. That's my three words. And seek the best to me means don't take people's word for things. Don't just because somebody's your coach, just because somebody is telling you what to do because they're better than you, don't take that as gospel. Just go go and find out who is the best uh, of the best of whatever it is that you're trying to get. So if you're trying to learn parkour, try and find out who are the best coaches in the world. You know, in the world. I, it doesn't matter in your area you don't have to actually go to that coach but find out how do they coach why do they coach you know what makes them different between you know your coach and what they're doing who is the best at sports coaching or who is the best at you know training programming or getting stronger and don't limit yourself to just your little bubble think about in the world, who is the best? Seek the best. And that's definitely, you know, the Mark Riptos and the, you know, strong fit guys. They're, they're the ones that I have found to be some of the best in the world. And so I'm trying to, you know, learn from them. But I would suggest anything you do in life, even if you don't find them, at least that process is going to get you towards being better. So that's my three words. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This was episode 53. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 53. There's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to sign up for our newsletter, or to read about how you can support this project. And I'll leave you with a final thought from Amy Poehler. The great thing about taking chances when you're younger is you have less to lose and you don't know as much. So you take big swings. Thanks for listening.